Lord Have Mercy is brought to you by Levin. A year of service in the Lutheran Episcopal Volunteer Network is an incredible challenge, a life-changing experience, and a phenomenal opportunity. A Levin year is a chance to discern your faith and spirituality through ancient liturgies, modern spiritual practice, and everything in between. You will meet and live with people from all over the country, from all walks of life, who have come to Sacramento to experience intentional community, service to others, and simple living. Find out more and start your application at leaven.org. That's leaven.org. You are listening to Lord Have Mercy, a podcast about God, sex, and the Bible. I'm your host, Crystal Cheatham, and today I sit down with Isaac Archuleta. You may know Isaac from a previous episode, and I'm bringing him back because we have a surprise to share with you. Isaac is the creator of the I Am Clinic, a place where LGBTQ Christians can receive therapy that allows them to step into their fuller selves. And now, Isaac. Um, you've actually been on the podcast before. I have. Yes. And you told me yeah. your whole life story. We found out that you are kind of a bad boy in college. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, oh, those days. Oh, those days. <laughs> Just like throw a little cat at him. Just like, ugh. Mm-hmm. Um, but we never really talked about your work with the I Am Clinic. And um, I think... In the past month or so, I've just, the past couple of weeks, I've been featuring really cool, progressive um, businesses. And so I got to talk to uh, George McHale about Church Clarity. Um, mm. I got to talk to um, Aaron, Aaron Bailey from uh, the oh, Left yeah. Hand Church and the church, he does the church planting. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so I'm really interested in learning more about I Am Clinic and what you're offering um, LGBTQ people who intersect with faith. You know, it kind of was born out of an absence that when I was kind of coming out to myself and really, really struggling with self-acceptance and shame and the compulsive behaviors that come with shame, I scoured everywhere in the Boulder and Denver areas to see if there was a Christian who could really understand the cultural and theological framework from which I was coming Hmm. and the reconciliation that I was trying to do. Um, Because I had spent months in conversion therapy and yeah, it just didn't work. Obviously, but what it did, (laughs) I say that kind of in a like, oh, my like surprised way, but I guess the layer I'm trying to talk about is it didn't work in the sense that it actually made me feel really hopeless about who I was. Yeah. That, you know, there was this treatment modality out there coming with what felt like a guarantee at the time. Mm-hmm. And then to say, oh, my God, if this thing that's really lauded as a successful treatment can't even work on someone like me, I must be really, really damaged. Ugh. Yeah. And hello, like compounding shame, right? Yeah. So I always say we're going to soothe ourselves with the one thing that shames us. And so in that context at the time, 
sex with someone of the same gender was the one thing that would shame me. So that's the one thing I went to to soothe myself. And it was compulsive. I mean, I kind of like lived to be on the dance floor to pick up anybody I could just to feel validated by them. I needed to feel validated by anybody. Yeah. And I, I remember, I don't know if I told this story to you last time, but no, tell me again. Um, all right. <laughs> so one time I was at a club here in Denver, it's called tracks and I got like hammered. I'm trying to say this in a clean way, <laughs> Yeah. but I got tanked. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember leaving the club. The one thing I do remember though was waking up. It was, Sunday morning and I got up and I was going to go to church and the whole driver's side of my car was like gashed in and my driver's side tire was facing perpendicular to all of the other tires. I have I literally have no idea how I got home. Wow. Yeah. And so like just this ultimate self-loathing medicating, it was almost as though I was just living in survival mode, literally like fight, yeah. fight or freeze just do whatever it takes to survive. And I could not find anybody who could help me um, Mm -hmm. reconcile sexuality and spirituality, who could undo the shame, who could help me put my behavior back in a way that allowed me to live the way I wanted and to find peace with who I was. And uh, so I went to seminary and uh, I got a master's degree I studied with someone who was incredibly brilliant, and they kind of trained me. They got me set, um, kind of set in motion, if you will. And so I opened IM Clinic to work with people just like me and my parents, because my parents had no resources as well. I guess there's like there's so many parts of your story that um, maybe I just come to forget, but I totally forgot that you uh, did um, what is it therapy. Um, you just said it. Oh, conversion, ther- conversion therapy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I know of one other person um, in my personal life who had a run-in with conversion therapy, and it's like just the shame tactics alone. Um, mm-hmm. Of course. I mean, of course they made you hate yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Wow. What a turnaround. Yeah. What a turnaround. Um, yeah. But, like, I guess most people wouldn't have that experience and then um, be able to start a business, you know, and that's what you've been able to do with I Am Clinic. Yeah, you know, it takes, um, it, it takes about, the, the average is about four years for a therapist to have 25 clients a week. You just have to yeah. build up your clientele. And I had 38 and nine months and I was running oh three therapy groups. There was just such a need for it. It just kind of exploded. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just been the most rewarding thing to day after day sit with gay couples, people coming out uh, to themselves, you know, in their adolescence or early adulthood, but also men and women coming out in heterosexual marriages, working with closeted clergy who are coming out, working through sexual trauma. Um, I mean, you name it, we do it. And it's just been so fulfilling. What are those some of the people? What are some of the, sorry to interrupt you, what are some of the tools that you offer people who, I mean, I, I honestly can only think of one other, like um, the Christian Closet with Candace Zubernot. She does um, mm-hmm. Christian counseling for LGBT people, but there are yeah. so few 
resources out there for people trying to untangle themselves from um, what Christianity does to a person. <laughs> <laughs> you know that I can imagine absolutely. like you you hear like some crazy shit you must hear oh, some absolutely so like but okay so what are some of the tools that you give to people to help them kind of detangle themselves from the confines of of mm. of you know uh what is it um bad theology or tragic theology sure. or sure. I'm sorry I was thinking of Kevin Garcia's t-shirt company Queerly yeah. Beloved <laughs> <laughs> yes but, yes yeah yeah so some of the tools are um, one of the biggest ones that's a very heavy hitter it's a very strong clinical tool is something called EMDR it's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing mm. So basically what happens is when we're swallowing shame or we're living through a traumatic moment, the fight, flight, or freeze mechanism in the body will turn on. And then when that turns on, rational thinking and rational language will completely turn off. Mm. So as we're living through those moments, the limbic system, which is kind of like an emotional sponge, if you will, mm. it'll swallow all of that shaming emotional information or that traumatic emotional information and it will literally live in the body detached from rational thinking and rational language. This is why trauma and shame just keep happening over and over and over as an experience in our bodies. And we can't rationalize our way through them. Same thing with anxiety. So, so what EMDR does is it, it acts almost like squeezing that sponge and we watch it all drip out for the last time. And then we fill that sponge up with new emotional information. It's quite profound. There's only one other. I mean, I know somebody who was looking for that therapy specifically here in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. and there was only one person that they could find. So yeah. this um, this method is supposed to be very helpful, but also it's extremely rare. It is, yeah. So the cool thing at IM Clinic is we can actually do EMDR over Skype. So we're doing EMDR with people all across the world, literally. And so you are helping uh, people, not just um, in Colorado? Oh, yeah. No, we help people all across the nation. Um, and we, we even do some EMDR with a couple of people overseas, for sure. That is amazing. Yeah, it's super cool. <laughs> um, so, so that's one. Okay. Do you want to tell you some more? Yes, please tell me more. <laughs> okay. So some of the other ones... Um, specifically related to theology, is we really unpack the subconscious relational role that we play in relationships because of Christianity. Mm. So, for example, Christianity teaches us to perform for God if we're not careful. We can really swallow that role. But what that does is it sets us up to think that we earn value by performing for people. And so we get detached from our inherent value and we start performing. But the bad thing about this crystal is that when we're performing as a way of earning value, eventually we're going to get sick and tired of performing and we're going to get overwhelmed and then we're going to become resentful. And I see this with gay men all the time. Mm. They want love so badly, but the idea of relational intimacy scares the crap out of us sometimes. Mm. And so a lot of gay men come into my office saying I have commitment issues and the first thing that I want to tell them is you're not afraid of commitment. You're afraid of the relational intimacy that underscores commitment because you've been taught to earn your value by performing. 
Wow. Yeah. And so we kind of have a lot of, um, I've, I'm, I'm a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> no, and you're not. So yeah, you are. <laughs> I love, re- I, am. <laughs> um, I just love researching. So we do a lot of what we call attachment work mm-hmm. and, and pairing that with EMDR, unraveling shame, doing a lot of community building and healthy relationship skill building is kind of where we hang out at the clinic. That is, <laughs> that's, that's, I mean, hmm. I guess you kind of dropped a truth bomb on me that um, that version of God, that relationship that we have with God or that we're taught to have is all about, you know, pleasing and oh, for sure. that detachment from self. Like that is, that's, that is so true. And I can't believe mm-hmm. that I haven't spent a lot of time talking about it on the podcast already. Mm-hmm. Um, are there specific things that you find um lesbians come in with or trans folk come in with yeah yeah i mean i don't i'm obviously speaking in generalities right like kind of using some stereotypes here but mostly it's kind of a it's a large um dynamic that kind of is the bread and butter it's the core of what we do at i am clinic but Mm -hmm. one partner in the relationship would be the performer the person who feels like they can earn value yeah. And their match, their counterpart, is what I call the dreamer. It's mm-hmm. someone who makes a fantasy of how they're going to be loved and how they're going to be rescued from their own reality. Mm-hmm. And that dreamer will really, um, once they create the fantasy, they're going to pull that fantasy down into reality. And then they're going to compare the, hum- the human partner to the fantasy partner they've created. Yeah. And they can become incredibly critical the dreamer can. Hmm. And so when the performer gets overwhelmed and they want to pull away from the relationship, the dreamer goes straight to anxiety, shame, or rage. And then they get really, really scared or really angry, Hmm. almost kind of obsessive a little bit. And so sometimes what it feels like to me, and again, it's just stereotypes, but oftentimes gay men are two performers who come together Hmm. and their relationships can be really ambivalent. I want you, but I don't come really close, but stay far away. I'm totally in this, but I'm still second guessing. On the other side, (laughs) as a clinician, what I see oftentimes in lesbian couples is they're two dreamers Hmm. and they love to nest. (laughs) And, but what can happen, and that's a good thing, but what can happen is they'll become really insular. Uh So they can start to forget about their hobbies. They can start to forget about their passion um, self-care sometimes and they just love kind of cocooning with each other mm-hmm. but of course that has its own sets of problems as well um, yeah. a lot of anxiety depression sometimes um, trans folks what I see at I am clinic is a deep deep hunger for community mm-hmm. um, they just want to know that they're safe somewhere and that they have a safe resource in their community um, when they're lonely or when they need to to make a change in their life, whatever that might be. Um, mm. But, you know, I've been doing this, Crystal, for almost 10 years. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's most of your adult life. <laughs> I know. I am clinic is almost 10 years old. And I've just, I've loved it. But I've been sitting in that office for thousands of hours just listening to story after story. And you get really good at um, identifying what's happening really quickly 
And it's been fun to kind of help people say, I've heard this before, it's totally normal. Yeah. And we, we know how to help you. Um, so it's been really fun. That actually, and that knowing that you're out there doing that gives me um, a big sense of relief. You know, our community mm. is constantly struggling from um, mental health issues that can, mm-hmm. that that we can actually work on. And like you oh. said, there never seems to be a way to do it. There never seems to be an outlet. And, um, but we are in an age where people are realizing that therapy can, isn't, isn't bad, isn't dirty. Um, we're kind of removing the stigma and allowing ourselves to get out there and search for help. Um, mm-hmm. You said something earlier that I, I wanted to find out a bit more about. You said um, you didn't have any resources and neither, neither did your parents. Um, mm-hmm. How do parents come into play in the work that you're doing? You know, it's been kind of a cool evolution. When I first started, um, it was, what, 2010. And at that time, social culturally, parents were bringing their coming out children saying, fix them. Like, you're a Christian counselor. You're an adjunct professor at a seminary. Fix my kid. Mm. And it was really kind of a soft, smooth process to say, (laughs) instead, we're going to do family therapy. Now, you know, almost 10 years later, I'm getting parents who say, this is really scary for me, but I want to learn how to love my kid really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so the timbre in parents is just changing and it's so incredible. Um, but parents are, um, I think the parents who are open to loving their kiddo find their, find their way to me and the clinic very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can, you know, they can just call just like anyone else can. Um, but they usually come in because they just want to make sure that they're going to be safe for their kid, yeah. which is awesome. It's a totally new thing that we're experiencing, but I'm so glad we're experiencing it. That is, I mean, I actually think it would be so fun to um, do something alongside a parent, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever get people who actually want to sit and talk with their parents in therapy? Oh, yeah, all the time. So. I think, so it's my job to work myself out of a job, right? Okay. And so, yeah. <laughs> and so getting the, the child and the parents in the room is kind of something I'm always advocating for mm-hmm. because it's not my job to listen to the kid and then parrot that back to the parents. It's my job to get kid and parent talking to one another so that they don't need me anymore. And yeah. watching that attachment fracture repair and to watch their communication, but also to watch the parents' love and support blossom, mm. it's incredible. To take a parent who's scared and grieving just with such love for their child to, like, becoming an advocate and, like, going to pride with their kid, it's just phenomenal. It's such a beautiful process to watch. Hmm. Oh, that's so nice to hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We need more like success stories in, mm-hmm. in our world, um, in this like queer faith world. We do need more success stories. There aren't enough parents still who accept their kids for who they are, um, right. or more than accept, support their kids and want to go to bat for them. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> mm, thanks. It's been so fun. I'm addicted to it. Can't stop. <laughs> well, um, so we are excited to announce that the IM Clinic is actually going to have a shelf in the app. 
Wow. I'm I, so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> Um, we've already, my fingers are on fire over here writing all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I just wanted you to tell our audience a bit about what they can actually find on the shelf. Um, yeah. 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 So we'll be releasing, um, more than 30 titles this mm-hmm. year. So more than 30 blogs. Um, some of the blogs will have videos, um, and we plan to launch, um, kind of like a learning series. So you can pick up like a packet of four lessons with a workbook. Um, and that'll be ready later this fall. So that is coming down the pipeline. Mm. More specifically, um, what people can find is tactics for healthy communication, healthy relationships, boundaries, um, all sorts of different topics. We're going to have a series on sexual dysfunctions. Mm-hmm. Um, so like erectile dysfunction or what can appear to be that, um, overcoming trauma. I mean, we're going to cover a whole wide array of topics specifically to help people feel confident in their bodies and in their relationships. Ooh, I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm so excited. I, <laughs> I think many people are going to look at this and ask, why does this belong inside of a Bible app? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> Do tell. <laughs> it is my firm belief that when we grow relationally, we're growing spiritually. Mm. And when we grow spiritually, we're growing relationally. They are tied because we are literally made to be in reciprocity with God, with others, and ourselves. And I think that there is some beautiful integration when we start applying psychology to spirituality. That, in my mind, is like gasoline and matches that just set our lives ablaze with passion and beauty and confidence and functional relationships so that we can literally create the lives and the love lives that we want. Hmm. I like that you also say love lives. So it's, it's not just, you know, that one dimensional um, mm-hmm. building a relationship with God, but it's building outward into community and family. Mm-hmm. And um, what other voices do you plan on featuring on your shelf? Yeah, we will have um, a, a myriad of mental health professionals from all over the country Mm-hmm. kind of chiming in and adding their voices. Um, we have a couple people interested all the way from New York to Seattle, um, all the way down to Texas. So we're kind of Ooh. gathering, we're gathering those people um, because I want, you know, I love our perspective that we use at I Am Clinic. We're mm-hmm. very healthy, um, excuse me, healthy attachment based, mm-hmm. like I kind of mentioned, but that's one section of psychology. So we want to pull in different perspectives from Christian psychotherapy across the world. You know, I think, Crystal, that when I'm in that room with one person or a couple or a family, that church is happening in that psychotherapy room. Oh, I believe you, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) And so we want to bring that deep experiential version of Christianity and spirituality to our Bible app. Oh, I'm so excited. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) you've been able, so when this launches um, next week, you'll have two pieces immediately go live. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you want to tell us a bit about uh, each one or, okay. So the first one, the first one that you submitted was four signs of an unhealthy sex life in a gay relationship. 
Womp Womp. Mm-hmm. And the second one, yes. <laughs> faith, and sex, faith and Sexual Identity, Using Your Spirituality to Strengthen Your Confidence. Um, mm-hmm. Why these two? Why did, why did these, these two come up first? Yeah, I think that um, sex is such a profound and massive pillar in our expression of love. And I think that it's really important for us. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm being sneaky here, but I'm going for two <laughs> things. Not only sexual ethic, but our relational ethic. Mm-hmm. Because if we can really identify and iron out those two things, we're setting a beautiful foundation for how we want to express ourselves. Mm-hmm. And if you are like me, when I was, goodness, 23, 24, 25, well, as I mentioned earlier, I was using sex as a way of medicating something. Mm. And that was doing more damage than it was good. Um, you know, almost like taking a medicine that's burning your liver at the same time. Yeah. And so to really help people identify, I want to get the rubber on the ground. I want mm-hmm. to help people identify from the get-go, how can I start making changes in my life and building a beautiful foundation? And I think that that's, we want to really hit the road with sex because it's such a big part of our day-to-day lives for many of us, Yeah. Um, especially if we're using Tinder and Grinder or whatever it might be. But then also to say, how do I stand firm as a relational being in, again, relationship with God, others, and myself, and to help fortify that confidence um, were two of the, the pieces that I really wanted to get out there first so mm-hmm. we can start having a really strong conversation around these two pieces of life. Oh, my goodness. I mean, do you know how I, I, I am on the same wave, wavelength than you, and that's why this podcast is about God, sex, and the Bible, and it's because I really do see that all of those things um, counteract each other. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we uh, as Christians, we really love to just gloss over the sex part because we didn't learn about it in healthy ways when we were kids and Mm -hmm. we don't know how to talk about it now as adults. Um, and we don't want it to be this big giant pillar of, of, Mm -hmm. you know, connectivity in, in our lives that it is. And so I agree with you Mm -hmm. that we kind of need to pierce the silence, pierce that uncomfortable moment and just let it be there. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I'm really excited to read these two pieces along with everybody else, but I'm afraid that I'm going to get hooked, you know? So (laughs) how, how often are you going to be updating the shelf? Um, we will have probably two a week until July. Mm -hmm. We want to really pack the shelf. Okay. And then we're going to we're going to slow it down, but we want to get it really full. Um, there's actually four in the editor's hands right now, so we have four okay. more coming down the pipeline. Woohoo! So we're we're going to get this thing stocked up. Yeah, for oh, sure. I am thrilled. Uh, yeah. And I'm so glad that you decided to to put this on our Bible app. I know that Oh, me too. It's the right audience for it. Our readers want this. For sure. For yeah. sure. You know how yeah, fun it... a... Go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say we have three videos coming as well. So those will be up as well. Um, What are your videos about? They're kind of um, responses. They're a little bit more of an in-depth explanation of what I'm writing about in the blogs. So they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I mean, piggybacking off of that, I just wanted to say that your voice is like so soothing that I can't imagine not being able to 
sit in a session with you and walk away sure. feeling like I've done so much just by listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. My partner calls it my NPR voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's definitely yeah. for radio and also for sleeping. So yes, yes. I feel like I could confess something to you and no matter what you say, I don't feel like I've done anything really wrong. You'll feel better. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like I've done the emotional work to get through it just by listening to talk to me. <laughs> I love that. You know, I do dream about creating some meditations, like some guided meditations. So maybe we'll just have to throw those up on the shelf as well. I would <laughs> be so down for that. To just yeah. lay down on a yoga mat, <laughs> listen to Isaac Archuleta uh-huh. talk to me for five to ten minutes. I'm in. Uh-huh. Sounds good. Let's Sold. do it. <laughs> okay. So if people actually do want to check in with you and find out more about the services that your clinic offers, where can they find you? Mm-hmm. They can go straight to imclinic.org, and it's uh, the I am, the I am. So we took that name from Hebrew because it's a clinic for who you are, the I am that you are. So iamclinic.org. They can also just call the office right away, and the office staff will call. Um, That number is 303-335-9210. And they can follow us on Instagram at LGBT underscore therapy. Or they can follow me at Isaac Forte. And those are my Instagram names. Dope. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening, y'all. You can find me anywhere online as Crystal Cheatham, except on Instagram, where my handle is the cheat. Okay, bye. <laughs>